pause when the clock has started. Hello. You may have noticed that episode 86 was posted today which is a Saturday, not a Friday. Graham only works weekdays so I am the fill-in announcer. My name is Amy and welcome to 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. And now, here's Doug. Yes, this is Doug Prezak and welcome to 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. And yes, I know, it's Saturday. It's not Friday. I apologize if you were trying to download this on uh, Friday. Um, here's the dealio. I usually record these on a Wednesday and I was gone all day and all night on Wednesday and I just couldn't do it. And then next thing I know it was Thursday and I was tired from Wednesday. And then next thing I know it's Friday and I had nothing to record, <laughs> nothing to record. But I finally got my act together today and now it's actually, it's still Friday. It's about 11 o'clock at night and I'm recording this and I'll post it uh, tomorrow morning. So uh, I apologize. Okay. Let's see, what else? Oh, uh, it's time to uh, talk about some of our uh, listeners from last week. You know, it's the custom. We always do that. I want to say hello to Burnaby. I hope I pronounce it right. Burnaby in British Columbia. Also to Wahiawa in Hawaii and Oregon House, California. That got me to wondering, you know, Oregon House, how close is that to Oregon? (laughs) If you got the name of a state in your city. So I looked it up. Nope. The closest town in Oregon uh, to California is Mallon, but Oregon House is uh, 272 miles away. So regardless, welcome to uh, Burnaby, Wahiawa, and Oregon House. And now here is some breaking news. I said in the last episode um, that the 20-minute super sleuth Catherine told me she would help me nail down the last two states on my 50-state quest Well, Catherine came through this week. Someone in Wakefield, Rhode Island, downloaded this podcast. I don't know how Detective Catherine managed to get Rhode Island, and maybe I don't want to know. But anyway, we, and it's a collective we, because, you know, you've been on this journey with me. We now have 49 states, and the District of Columbia uh, checked off our list. The lone remaining holdout is Montana. Catherine said it might be uh, you know a bit tough to get that one, but I have faith. <laughs> okay, so a sincere thanks to Catherine. I have uh, just awarded you the title of the Director of State and Territory Acquisitions for Twenty Minutes. You'll never get back. So, <laughs> sadly, there's no money that goes with that. Sorry. Well, last week's episode certainly sparked some more debate, <laughs> and no, it wasn't about which sandwich is the best because we all know it's the McRib. Did you hear that, McDonald's? I could be a social influencer for you. That's right. The McRib, the best sandwich ever. (laughs) The money should be rolling in any minute now. No, it wasn't about which is best. It was just about what is a sandwich. That continued on. Now, based on last week, we know that California and New Jersey say a hot dog is a sandwich. Needless to say, the sandwich debate continued on and took a turn into some new questions. Longtime listener Jamie, he sent me a link to a website called cuberule.com, C-U-B-E-R-U-L-E.com, cuberule. Now, this site explains uh, how to apply the cube rule when you want to identify or categorize food type. And let me tell you, it's funny, but it's actually pure genius. It basically talks about using a cube and removing one, two, three, or four sides, and you can apply any food group to it <laughs> based on the starch. All right? It's a little more than my 20 minutes I have here, but uh, here are some of the food types and the category they fit into. Now, see if you agree. And if you don't, uh, blame Jamie. <laughs> Again, applying the cube rule of six sides, we can determine that a hot dog is in the taco category. <laughs> 
A quesadilla is a sandwich, pigs in a blanket. Well, they're sushi. (gasps) (laughs) A cheesecake is a quiche. A burrito is a calzone, and so is an uncrustable sandwich. (laughs) But the biggest question was raised on the site is, is a Pop-Tart a kind of ravioli? (laughs) The official Pop-Tart site said, in jest, um, excuse me, ravioli is a kind of (laughs) Pop-Tart. Hello. (laughs) To examine the ravioli Pop-Tart controversy, I did some research, you know, so you didn't have to. And I examined some of the brightest minds the internet has to offer, (laughs) the population as a whole. (laughs) That's going to turn out well, isn't it? All right, we're going to start here. One person chimed in with, quote, ravioli is, as defined by Wikipedia, composed of a filling sealed between two layers of a thin dough. Pop-Tarts is made out of uh, a thin dough baked with a filling inside. It's sealed in the crust, similar to ravioli for this reason, Pop-Tarts are a type of ravioli, end quote. (laughs) Okay. Um, I checked. You left out a word or two. Wikipedia actually says ravioli are a type of pasta comprising a filling enveloped in a thin pasta dough. (laughs) Okay. Now, another scientific mind said, quote, ingredients don't define a ravioli. You can have all sorts of ravioli, just as you can have all sorts of sandwiches. I I don't know what to say about that. Someone else uh, posed the question, well, then what about a Hot Pocket? Is that a ravioli? Um, Well, another uh, food-minded genius said, quote, Pop-Tarts are pastry raviolis. Hot Pockets are meat Pop-Tarts. Therefore, yes. (laughs) They added, pizza rolls are Hot Pocket raviolis. (laughs) Good Lord. Now, the other side of the aisle says, why Pop-Tarts are not ravioli? Well, Pop-Tarts are filled with a sugary filling, while ravioli is filled with gooey cheese and typically meat or vegetables. Also, Pop-Tarts do not have a sauce. They have frosting, end quote. And I say, wait a minute. Uh, I counter with, isn't frosting just dried up sauce? (laughs) That was Doug, sorry. Someone said that a Pop-Tart is, quote, a hand pie, a pastry made with biscuit-style dough with either a sweet or savory filling that is baked, fried or deep fried so we can inclusively say the answer to this question is a firm no i'm just gonna end this debate with this lastly uh is a ravioli a dumpling (laughs) i'm throwing the whole train off the track with this one ravioli and tortellini fit the basic description of a dumpling these are pockets of pasta enclosing various fillings so therefore we can extrapolate a ravioli is a dumpling but a dumpling apparently is a pop tart (laughs) All that because last week I said a hot dog is a sandwich. (laughs) I apologize. How about now we start the real topic for the show, okay? About seven minutes ago, I told you I was gone all day Wednesday and Wednesday night. And that's because I was at a a major uh, theme park here in Southern California that's famous for uh, pirates and princesses and long lines and hell of expensive tickets. But apparently it's also famous, really famous for something else. And that something else is churros. (laughs) Churros. I mean, it's so famous for churros that on the tram ride in from the parking lot, they have signs that say you're just steps away from the churro cart. (laughs) So you know what I'm talking about. We're going to talk about churros. Now, the origin of churros is unclear. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's a fine how-do-you-do way to start a segment. <laughs> Churros, you know, they're a delicious food that's cooked in all kinds of countries worldwide, from Spain to Latin America and the Philippines. Thanks to it being so easy to make, this fried dough has become a sort of an ideal snack, especially when you're walking around street fairs or major mouse-based theme parks. <laughs> Now, according to one of these theories, churros already existed in ancient Egypt. This historical explanation is due to uh, different engravings that were found in the tomb of Ramses III, where only some of the drawings are preserved. The originals were lost in the excavations. Now, those engravings portray different workers processing wheat and then making dough, rolling it up, and frying it. Now, Michael Crondy, he's a food historian. He says, quote, Today's churro is not that different from a recipe of flour water fritter that you would find in a Roman cookbook dating back from the first century AD. And there are recipes from ancient Greeks, but this is probably even older than that. In the Mediterranean basin, it's basically been around forever. End quote. Thanks, Michael. Now, this explanation about the origin of churros is kind of plausible since nowadays it's possible to find ancestral dishes in the Middle Eastern countries which are closely related to the preparation made by the Egyptian people. If this theory is true, the churro would be a particularly old dish, no less than 3,000 years old. And I think a churro I had at that mouse-based theme park was probably about 3,000 years old. I digress. <laughs> Here's another theory. It seems the Chinese also claim to be the parents of a churro. This widespread theory points out that a churro originated from the popular Yu Chao from China. I hope I pronounced that right. My apologies if I didn't. This is a typical breakfast dish in that nation that consists of fried dough, but it's not sweet. Instead, salt is used in its preparation. The dish is extremely popular in southern China and is usually eaten with milk, although it is served sometimes with consumés. Some accounts without a whole lot of documentation say that Portuguese merchants brought this recipe to the Iberian Peninsula where they exchanged salt for sugar and a piping bag was introduced to spread the dough. Churro paste was easy to make and fry in an open fire in the mountains where the shepherds spent most of their time. However, it's also possible that this preparation reached Europe during Marco Polo's travels. In any case, there's really no agreement on the historical record that allows to verify any of these theories. So regardless of his remote origins, it's quite likely that the churro had an autonomous origin in Spain because of its easy preparation and the few ingredients needed. It's likely that the Iberian shepherds, faced with impossibility of accessing an oven during their long days, have chosen to fry the dough as a way of making a fast food similar to bread. This custom was so well received that by the Middle Ages, it's possible to find Spanish records from the 16th century where a recipe book of Elizabethan nuns referred to the preparation of fried flour and sugar. Likewise, it's possible to find examples of its preparation in the recipe books of royal cooks. That is, it's a dish for both the rich and the poor alike. Now, likewise, it's widely documented that soft drinks and food were sold on the streets in different areas of the Spanish Empire during the 17th century. They used small ovens and frying pans to sell their products. In fact, at uh, that time in Spain, a type of fried dough was known as, quote, fruit of the frying pan or simply fritter. The fritter was sweet and was particularly popular. It's also quite common to consume it at rural fairs and popular events 
and again, mouse-based theme parks. Finally, churro factories began to be established in towns like Zaragoza by the 19th century, where they were prepared with the star shape, which is commonly known today. That began the process of conquest of all of Spain, Latin America, and other regions of the world, continuing its process of expansion until today. Did I make that sound important? <laughs> now, how about the origin of the word churro? And lastly, what's the origin of the word churro, you ask? Even if you didn't ask? <laughs> well, it's derived from the chura sheep, which is native to the Iberian Peninsula and typical of the Castile and Leon regions. Now, apparently, the similarity between the horns of this animal and the food was such that the name was eventually adopted. And that is just about everything I have to say about churros. Oh, you know I'm kidding. <laughs> For openers, let's go back to Disney. I mean, let's go back to that mouse-based theme park. On April 5th of 2020, Disney set the internet on fire when they published the recipe for their churros that they sell at their parks and the world stopped spinning. <laughs> Grateful, churro-deprived world rejoiced. Food bloggers posted their attempts at recreating Disney's churro bites. You know, those are short pieces of churros that have been pre-bitten. <laughs> I'm kidding. They just are short little tiny churros, but apparently that saves you a lot of hard work from having to bite one yourself. But anyway, uh, the internet swooned and Disney churros quickly became one of the highest ranked recipe searches on Google. But there's just one thing. Uh-oh. It's not a churro. It's one thing to stray from the traditional topping of plain sugar. Churros have suffered the indignity of being covered from everything from sparkly candy to maple syrup and bacon. Okay, I have to I have to admit, um, I had a maple syrup and bacon covered churro at Disneyland and oh it was delightful. <laughs> but Disney has gone a step further and they tampered with the very soul of the churro, the basic flour and water dough recipe. Its recipe calls for the addition of both butter and eggs. Which is more like a churro shaped cake thing. <laughs> Are they delicious? Probably. Is it a churro? Absolutely not. All right. Has all this made you hungry for your own very own churro? Guess what? I have the recipe for you. Get a pencil, a piece of paper, and write this down. Seriously, go get a pencil. I'll wait. Okay. It's really very, very simple. It's one cup of water and one cup of flour with a pinch of salt. It's just that simple. Water, flour, and salt. Now, if you want to, you can get some special equipment. You can get yourself a churro gun. Uh, that looks like, you know, those things you would squeeze out caulking for bathroom tiles, stuff like that. And I just looked, and it's on Amazon for $76.82. They have an $18.99 version. So there's your, your that's a spread for you if you want your own churro gun. If you don't want that, then you can just get a little pastry bag with uh, one of those star tips on it, okay? All right, this is how you do it. Add a pinch of salt to one cup of water and then get that to a boil. But just before it boils, you know, you can just see teeny little bubbles. Add one cup of flour all at once and stir enthusiastically with a wooden spoon, okay? Enthusiastically. Then you take it off the heat and you keep stirring until the dough comes away from the sides. You can add a little bit more flour if it's too sticky and then you form a ball and you set it aside for 10 minutes. Set the timer. Hey, Google, set timer for 10 minutes. So while the Google machine is busy doing its timer thing, 
what you want to do is get uh, a couple of cups of vegetable oil, put it in a pot, put it on your stove, and you want to heat it up to 365 degrees Fahrenheit or 185 degrees centigrade. All right, once your oil's at temperature, you can either squeeze out the churros onto a lightly floured surface before frying or place them right into the hot oil and snip them with scissors as you go. The churros are going to float, but they need to be turned halfway through the frying. You fry until they're golden brown and then remove from the oil and sprinkle with some table sugar while they're still hot. There you go. Congratulations, you made churros. And I have absolutely nothing else I can say about churros. <laughs> so so let's, uh, let's end this thing. Uh, but first, what have we learned? You know, I don't think we learned anything, but let's take a look. I, uh, oh yeah, okay, we learned that a, a Pop-Tart may or may not be ravioli. Uh, we learned that nobody really knows uh, who uh, created the churro. Oh, and you learned how to make a churro. <laughs> That's it. Uh, yeah, a day late and uh, four minutes early. So um, that definitely will bring episode 86 to a close. Oh, God. And I will talk to you next time. On <laughs> 20 minutes, you'll never get back, especially this one. Bye-bye. <laughs>Hi, it's me again, Doug. I want to take up a couple more seconds of your time just to remind you, if you want to stay informed of when uh, the next podcast is posted, all you need to do is sign up at uh, on that Instagram machine. It's at 20MYNGB, 20MYNGB, and that means 20 minutes you'll never get back. Uh, if you sign up there, you'll uh, always see when the next podcast is uploaded. And if you want to leave some comments, by all means, please do go to the uh, website at 20minutespodcast.com. So it's 20minutespodcast.com. And uh, you can uh, leave your comments there. It also tells you how you can be an announcer for the show. So take, take a look at those two things if you'd like and stay informed. And all, as always, thank you very much for listening to uh, 20 Minutes. You'll never get back. Bye-bye.